Blog Talk Radio. Dr. Moody, 
David has really developed uh, a kinship, you could say, with this kind of information. And it's really with great pleasure that I have invited David on to join us. Let me just say a few words, and uh, we will also consider opening up the lines to our audience uh, at a certain point. But, you know, our time, uh, how do you say, our time on Earth is, well, some say we've got approximately 25,000 days. Maybe some 24,000, others 26 or 27,000. There's a lot of work being done these days in longevity. And it's really very interesting. There's no no question about it. Um, at the same time, uh, the subject at hand here is really not even longevity, but rather a whole other way of thinking about the cycle of life and death, which are usually posited as opposites. But the research has shown, a lot of research has shown, that it's not really the opposite of life at all, but rather a continuation of life in a different form. Now, with that kind of comment... The whole idea of the only things we can be sure of is death and taxes sort of takes on a different resonance because then we're only going to be sure of taxes. Um, and some of us are trying to do something about that. But that aside, uh, we really want to take a look at the subject because its repercussions, its implications, its ramifications on so many levels is nothing short of profound. And of course, on a better world, there's no surprise to any of you who listen with any regularity. This is a subject that I have broached many times over the course of years, including a better world TV that stretches back to uh, early 1993. And in my writings for even longer than that, and my teaching and working with clients, that's so important to address these kernel issues that usually get swept aside in favor of celebrity status and such glamours, as Alice Bailey would call them. But today we're going to grapple and even, I dare say, enjoy the conversation as we did some time ago uh, when we had Annie Kagan on talking about her book, the Afterlife of Billy Fingers, her brother, uh, which is the first slightly humorous book on the subject and one that uh, we'll be bringing to bear as appropriate during this show. So, David, are you on now? I am indeed. Welcome to A Better World, my friend. Good to have you. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Good. So I've given some introduction here to the subject at hand, given some introduction to you as a professional uh, videographer and, of course, director and in some uh, respects journalist, as you've been meeting so many people for so long and really kind of um, plucking from them their life story and what it is that charges their lives with meaning. And I, I know that Dr. Raymond Moody has been of a particular salient influence with you 
And uh, I'd like to just ask you, how would you characterize what that influence has been? What is it about it that was so um, resonant with you? I met uh, Dr. Moody about 20, 22 years ago uh, when he was getting ready to do the book tour for his book, Reunions. Uh, I was hired by Oprah's production company to go to his home in Alabama and do the introduction piece uh, that when Oprah says, you know, our next is whoever, let's take a look. Yes. You know, there's a little 90-second to two-and-a-half-minute video that tells uh, why this person is writing the book and taking up uh, human time on her show. <laughs> and right, human time, yes. I um, I... I really didn't know too much about what I was getting into. Uh, I was driving over there on a beautiful Sunday, and I was thinking, what has my life come to? Here I am, not spending the day with my (laughs) wife and two children. I'm going to Alabama, which is the zoo of Georgia, uh, and Uh um, I'm going to go uh, spend two days with a man who uh, teaches people how to talk to the dead. And <laughs> so I I was going in with great skepticism and um, cynicism. Self-doubt, self-doubt. And, well, right. And within um, uh, uh, 20, 25 minutes of the interview, I realized that here was a man who wasn't about uh, fakery, and uh, wish fulfillment and, um, you know, after money. Uh, here was a yeah. man who, who by age 30 had a Ph.D. in philosophy from uh, University of Virginia and an M.D. in psychiatry by age 30. Mm. And, he, and he had taken a year off to teach philosophy during that time. So he was not exactly... Uh, yeah, you know, a flat. Uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right, right, right. right. And, sure. And, so what was it? What was it that happened in your dialogue, David, that uh, reached you? That reached obviously something deep inside you, and you went, "Oh my God! It's not that I'm at the end of my rope in my life. Quite the contrary. I'm being asked to go here from by uh, Oprah's uh, production company because they want." him on her show he's got to be bringing something valuable to the table and then you saw that with your very eyes what was it that kind of pushed you over that edge it was his ability to explain the ancient greek technique of speaking with the dead and how it has evolved through history through the, the business that he calls clear depth gazing. And uh, Raymond is excellent at pulling pieces of history together and putting them together uh, in, in a, a really nice looking picture at the end. And, um, you know, being a little skeptical of the, 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 the premises that he was uh, putting out there uh, after reading and studying what he came up with, there was indeed a place called the Oracle of the Dead, 
in Ephra, Greece, where for 2,500 years people went to have some type of experience with a departed loved one. They didn't go mm. there to have a... They didn't go there to have conversation with uh, uh, Alexander the Great or Abe Lincoln or, you know, they, yeah. they went there to, vis- to have visitations with departed relatives. And so and, it was known for that in during the times of what we refer to as ancient Greece, you know, Homeric, uh, Hesiodic, Socratic, Platonic, but... Since then as well, are you saying that modern Greeks, today's modern Greeks, would go and consult the oracle for the same reason? No, no, it was it was there pre-Socratic, uh, pre-Plato, uh, pre-Aristotle, uh, but uh, certainly known during their time. In fact, uh, to jump ahead quickly, I took Raymond yes. and we went to Greece. We tracked down the archaeologist who unearthed the Oracle of the Dead, uh, who was a wonderful gentleman who was uh, uh, in his late 80s at the time. And we asked him, how did you decide to go dig here? And he said, I simply trusted Homer. In Book 11 of the Odyssey, I just took the coordinates that Homer um, put out. I went... I put my shovel in the ground, and, you know, voila, there was this uh, 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 structure that had was totally underground, um, was um, quite, it's quite a place. It's, it's still in existence today, and it existed for a long, long time. It existed even for the first 400 years of Christianity, uh, before the Christian, mean as an active oracle, as an active oracle, and the uh, Council of Nicaea in what four thirteen, four fifteen, yeah, something like that, three or three fourteen, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. They they said, uh, you know, this is um, this is getting in our way of um, uh, of preaching our form of the gospel, I guess, and of our uh, recruitment was, efforts. Right, and probably our income. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so, yeah. so uh, they made it an anathema uh, to 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 have this as a part of. But for the first 400 years, there's evidence, and this is documented by archaeologists, not by um, psychics or mediums or New Age uh, professors. Yeah, uh, but it's documented right. by ar- archaeologists. Yes. That, um, it, it was in existence and was a practice. And uh, Dr. Moody, being the clever man he is, he had studied this and uh, was able to reproduce the technique with surprising results. He was able to study the technique. So um, he unearthed, no pun intended, um, extant texts that helped him understand the nature. Of course, they must have been written in ancient Greek. Greek was modern to them. It wasn't, it's ancient to us. But he was able to get those uh, texts 
and arrange for them to be translated, or did he know ancient well, Greek? Well, he, 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 actually, he reads Greek, and he was able to read some of the Greek, but he also uh, read uh, a lot, especially in Plato, um, who he says in the Phaedo especially, actually uh, tells the technique in the Phaedo if you're sensitive to the language. And as it turns out, there was there were several oracles of the dead throughout antiquity, uh, and it was a common practice to go have a conversation. You know, Aunt Tilda, what did you do with the diamond ring you gave me? Uh, you know. <laughs> yes, of I don't course, know. of course. Yes. This yes. is fascinating, David. This is fascinating. And listeners, please know that... Uh, Next week, it looks like we'll have Dr. Raymond Moody on with us as well. So, uh, you know, make sure to, you know, put that into your schedule so we'll get it from the scholar's mouth ourselves. That is fascinating. And so what you you witnessed this. I mean, after all, you were there, and you can do the the gazing anywhere, I imagine. You don't have to do that in Greece and at the site of the oracle, although it might have some resonant powers that uh, would help to enhance or augment, but uh, did you witness um, any, uh, what you would say, contact established while the two of you were there? Uh, I was too busy uh, filming and making sure I was getting my shots and getting uh, uh, production done and that I was, uh, you know, uh, to to take... You were otherwise engaged with life and Raymond was able to deal with life after life. Okay. And and Raymond, you know, it's, it's in a documentary that I did called Through the Tunnel and Beyond, and uh, Raymond uh, walks us through the uh, the oracle. But what the second day of filming for the Oprah show was actually putting um, grieving people through a, uh, a modern version of the oracle that he created in his research facility in Rural Oh, is that what's called the psychomantium? Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, exactly. please tell us about that. Yeah. Well, it, uh, this is something put, that Dr. Moody is well known for, folks. Uh, right. This, this y- unit called, uh, pardon the poor word, the psychomantium, which is, uh, yeah, please tell us. Well, it's, it, um, it's a process that uh, grieving people who want that five minutes more who can't seem to let go, they come, um, Dr. Moody spends a considerable amount of time telling them the history of this, letting them know that this is not some um, uh, a trickery that's just been invented, you know, it, it's, uh, yes. you know, 3,000 years old. And he says the historical and, context. Yeah, yes, he does. And then he gets to know the person. Um, he talks to them, wants to know why they want, who it is they want to talk, see or talk to, who it is uh, they miss, uh, why they want to uh, see them or talk to, and why they can't let go. Uh, and then he has them tell 
him about the the person. And then they, they usually go for a walk to just kind of relieve the stress, um, you know, and just calm down. And then he puts them in this room that is soundproof with a, a mirror mounted on the wall, but in such a way that you cannot see your own reflection. And indeed, oh. what, because it's soundproof and in darkness with only about oh, a 10 or 15 watt bulb just to give it a glow, um, yes. you, you sit in this chair and um, you gaze into this mirror, which is the clear depth that um, surprisingly has been used throughout history, uh, you know, mirror, mirror on the wall. Uh, yes. And the Lion King, when the, uh, you know, when he gazes into the pool and sees the image of his dead father. I mean, these are things straight out of history and antiquity. Right. And right. leave it to Dr. Moody to pull it all together. So <laughs> yeah, right. Put, uh, right, right. We put... We put, or he put, um, two individuals through the um, the process, and they had experience. And we're filming this, and then um, there's a was a third person that he put in, and she came out, and she was shaking, and she said, "I have seen my father." And Dr. Modic said, well, yeah, I, I can understand that. Let's go talk about it. And she started going, no, you don't understand. I've seen my father. And he yeah, goes, right. well, you know, I, I, I do understand. Let's go sit. Right. And, you know, it's a decompression kind of time. And yeah. she says, no, you don't understand. I was sent to be the plant. I was sent to be the one who had no experience to confront you on the show. And she said, I oh. had an experience. Oh, so. <laughs> oh! So there was somebody sent to disprove, like a so-called yeah. quackbuster in the healing well, I mean, world. <laughs> well, and, and you know, television survives on conflict, and yes. uh, uh, you know, uh, it, and this was 22 years ago, and it's even worse today. But this yeah, right. woman had this woman. Um, uh, I believe she was a Ph.D. candidate at Harvard and had no interest in this at all. And uh, she wasn't lying about her father being dead when she was talking to Raymond, but she was very, very skeptical of it ha- actually happening. And anyway, she had the experience. Yeah. And I was yeah. even more impressed and um, um convinced that there was something to it and then that's when i went i said raymond we've got to go to greece we've got to put this on because it was just not possible in that 90 seconds or 180 seconds of the introduction piece to his appearance on oprah for the 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 um the importance of this to get through so i said we've got to do a documentary um so we went to greece we we did it. We came back, and we've been friends ever since. We've done a lot of different videos. I've traveled all around the world. Um, we've done a lot of different videos. We just finished doing 
one uh, that's the beginning of a series uh, called Conversations with Raymond Moody, and it's uh, a conversation with Raymond and Evan Alexander, which we did before his book, Proof of Heaven, was even released. And um, it, that was quite a, quite an experience. Yes. Well, that it just since you mentioned Dr. Alexander, uh, just to share with the audience, in case you aren't aware, uh, Dr. Eben Alexander is, a uh, again, a physician. And if I'm not mistaken, he may be a neurosurgeon. And he is a neurosurgeon. He, yep. he himself experienced a life-after-life experience, i.e. clinically declared dead, uh, no brainwave activity for a certain period of time that is considered fatal, and yet returns to the land of the living after a most extraordinary experience. And as a clinician, as a scientist, he writes this up in Proof of Heaven. I just got word, actually, David, through Ginger, uh, a publicist we both know, uh, that uh, he won't be able to make it next week, it does look like. But another occasion, we will have Dr. Alexander on as well to speak of his the dialogue that you uh, videotaped of his uh, conversation with Dr. Moody. So just to let you know and let all of you know that we are going to very much continue this theme at a better world because it's a very important one and it puts everything into perspective. As you know, on a better world, I spend a fair amount of time talking about holistic thinking and that's to upgrade our, our brainwave circuitry from going from the local and the micro, which is very powerful, to the larger picture of the macro. And there are many levels to that, one of which is so importantly the multidimensional. And I'm not being airy-fairy or woo-woo here, not at all. (laughs) Speak to any physicist. And here we are dealing with uh, physicians with scientific background and training in their thinking to observe carefully phenomena before them. And our guest today, David Hinshaw, has been uh, very particularly um, astute in his being a student of one of these gentlemen, Dr. Moody, who's a world-famous physician who's been focused on the subject of, as he so well puts it, life after life. So that's the subject of today, and we will be continuing it. And uh, before... Carrying on here, just want to remind you, in case you missed the interview I did with Buddha Maitreya just last week, and you say, Buddha Maitreya, well, I've heard that before, but who is it referencing? Well, this man, father-born Blackfoot out in Oregon, uh, mother, I have a feeling, mixed Anglo, <clears throat> is actually, and he has known since his own virtually infancy, that he is, no kidding, Gautama Buddha, the historic Buddha. And it's more than that. It it involves the Christic energy as well. But not to go on, I'd rather just point you in the direction 
of the radio archive at abetterworld.tv so you can pick up on this yourself and tune in because wow, wow. So we've been talking about reincarnation for some time and it's with uh, with great pleasure and joy that we have David Hinshaw on to help unfold and unravel some of the the mystery here. David, to pick up now with you, you have been now with Dr. Moody for 22 years. Uh, you live in the Atlanta area, he in Alabama, it's not that far away. Uh, you've spent a considerable amount of time, you've traveled the world together, you've done a lot together. What have you seen firsthand, up close and personal, so to speak, uh, either with your own self being in the in the psychomantium uh, or uh, having experienced uh, directly the reports of others after they've emerged? Well, um, <clears throat> I've... Um, you know, I had to make a living, and I couldn't just devote my life to to working with Raymond. Although it would have been fun, but yeah, I had sure. to uh, I had to keep keep doing other stories and other other things. And um, there there have just been, but my interest in this has um, has been a, a focus for for all these years because to me it's. You know, being a journalist and a, a, a cameraman and an interviewer and a, a producer director, I spend a, I've spent most of my life looking and listening, and not yeah. uh, preaching. <laughs> you know, yeah. or presenting presenting any of my ideas. So I, I have just yeah. spent a lot of most of my life observing, and. Um, you know, I, I never will forget. Shortly after uh, my first encounter with Raymond, I was in South Africa doing uh, an entirely different story with uh, some rural people in South Africa, and this was uh, a story on how the end of apartheid was affecting rural South Africa out where mm-hmm. there are were and I don't mean this is a pejorative but where there were still tribes um, anyway <clears throat> I'm walking down sure. a dusty road dusty road with the uh, the village shaman and mm-hmm. I'm uh, and I, I say to him um, do you ever talk to your dad yeah. and he said we talk to them all the time uh-huh. and I said oh is there a chamber, a process? You know, I'm, I'm envisioning, uncovering, you know, a, an El Dorado hidden away in, in rural South right. Africa. <laughs> uh-huh. He looked at uh-huh. me. He looked at me like you, stupid American. And he said, <laughs> "They're with us always. We talk to oh, them. Oh yeah. Their spirits uh-huh. are always with us." And he said, I said, so you don't need to go to their graves or anything? And he said, no, they're always with us. Um, uh, you know, uh, um, that that and many other experiences along the way, um, I've, I've spent, uh, because I'm in Atlanta, um, uh, you know, Atlanta's, the best thing about Atlanta is the airport, and I've been able to travel for a lot of different people and I've listened to other people talk about this 
uh, event of 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 life beyond this realm. Um, sure. You know, just and then of course traveling with Raymond, and Raymond has done workshops where he has trained uh, others to the process of putting someone through the psychomantium or the Oracle of the Dead or or sure. whatever you want to call it. And and I've done interviews with those people who've gone through the training and, and one of the um um one of the, the my favorite lines was a psychiatrist from San Francisco who went through the training and I said, So what you've spent three days learning this process, now what do you think? And he said who cares if it's not real by modern our standards? If it helps my patient get through their grief, it works. Oh. That's my job. Mm. I always thought that that was a very sensitive, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. explanation. Very thoughtful. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. You know, it sort of begs the whole subject, David, of uh, not. I'm not speaking of myself, but as a therapist. I am speaking, wearing that hat, uh, and that is, uh, does God exist or not? And I have my own belief system that isn't important at this very moment, but that people have a sense of that, no matter what is so-called objectively true or not, the usefulness of it from a clinical point of view therapeutic point of view, healing point of view, is extraordinary. Having some thing, some intelligence bigger than oneself is what is of immense value. Living for something bigger than oneself, serving something bigger than oneself. Yes. And you have discovered that in, in, in practically everyone you've counseled, correct? Sure. So it doesn't matter, uh, I don't think, it doesn't matter uh, what label you want to put on it. You know, uh, the, the, the important thing is um, everybody seems to have an, a belief system. Even atheists have belief systems. Oh, atheism is a belief, sure. Right, right. As a favorite and, psychoanalyst um, and philosopher largely about Zen that I greatly favor was a Frenchman named Dr. Hubert Benoit, B-E-N-O-I-T, who uh, his uh, seminal book is called The Supreme Doctrine that had the foreword written Aldous Huxley when it was published Uh, by Viking Press. And in it he says, and I always remember this, each man and woman lives by his or her own set of metaphysics. They may not call it that, but in short, we have all interpreted reality to be a certain way. And uh, it makes sense to us. It can be influenced by new data, but it is truly our own unique set of beliefs, perceptions, principles. That is truly unique yeah. to us, even if it shares much with others. Does that accord with your it, understanding? I, it, it, very much so. It's um, 
uh, and, and you know, because of all the travel I've done, I've spent a lot of time sitting on airplanes and reading. And um, yes. you know, yes. there there is not a civilization that has any recorded history that does not believe in some type of existence beyond this existence that we currently find ourselves in. There are two common things uh, in all civilizations. uh, Is is there life beyond this, and are we alone in the universe? Yes. Yes. And, um, you know, I think... God, for people like Dr. Moody and you and others who are wrestling with this because, um, you know, we're we're in the cult of science right now, and that was what was fascinating to me about this, and why I wanted to do the story of Dr. Alexander, because here was a man of science. He wasn't a... Uh, yes. You know, he wasn't a desperate uh, writer needing to to pay the electric bill. I mean, he's a, a, a neurosurgeon at Harvard for crying out loud. Uh, yeah, um, uh, it doesn't get know, more straight laced than that. <laughs> well, it, exactly, and you know, and in fact, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I think that he's probably has suffered financially because of this experience, but, you know, he had an attack of E. coli meningitis, which has a survival rate of less than 1%. He was in deep coma for seven days, hooked to every machine known to mankind, including uh, his brain. He had zero brain activity, yet his experience uh, of a voyage beyond... um, this realm into a metaphysical world was uh, was very very profound. Uh, there there was an experience with a young lady um, during the, his uh, um, experience that he later turned out to be his dead sister of whom he had no knowledge because he was adopted mm. oh, uh and God. this this yeah uh mm. and you know he, Raymond and I are sitting with with him in his beautiful beautiful home it wasn't you know i mean he, this is a man who is very well um regarded taught neurosurgery all over the world um and um, has, you know, an experience that cannot be described uh, by a, a scientific explanation, and it it begs the whole con- the whole question of well, if his he was completely brain dead, where does consciousness reside? Exactly. Exactly. Now, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, my audience knows that I am very fond. I am having a deep love affair with neuroscience. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, I feel that it uh, really enriches my work as a therapist and uh, 
even counselor and business coach, it really helps me understand some of the mechanisms of consciousness. But it's only valuable once recognized that the brain and the nervous system are conductors of consciousness. They are acting as an agent, if you will, but they are not the beginning and end of consciousness at all, to wit, the work that Dr. Moody has done, the work that Dr. Alexander has done, I've also had a woman named Julia Asante, a Near Eastern uh, scholar uh, who resides in France and Germany, who wrote also a very special book on the subject. Uh, Dr. Annie Kagan, who I referenced at the beginning of the program, who wrote uh, The Afterlife of Billy Fingers, which is uh, an awesome um, narrative of her brother killed in a car accident in Florida, who comes back to her and says, Princess, it's me. And they there ensues this incredible dialogue um, and the writing of a book that they basically did together. Um, on and on. I mean, the literature is actually rather vast and rich for anyone who really wants to plummet it, including, by the way, uh, a dear friend of mine who's a naturopath and therapist as well, Tiana Conti, who was, uh, well, I've known for decades, but uh, met and went out to uh, experience the psychomantium some years ago, who wrote a book afterward called Love's Fire about the passing hmm. of her husband, uh, who I was also very friendly with, William. And through the psychomantium, as well as she's just quite psychic, had many, I mean, just living encounters with his uh, presence and uh, guidance, frankly, Um, not all of which was great um, as life went on. So she was with him very intimately after his leaving the physical body. Your comments? Yeah. um, I I believe it. Uh, uh, Oh, yeah. And I... Again, as a uh, a journalist, a skeptic, a cynic, you know, a, a, a grumpy old man, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I've just, I, I've always. You would Walter Matthau? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, um, you know, uh, I had a, a wonderful grandmother who used to say, never trust a man or a person who makes a living with their mouth. And I <laughs> said, who, who are those? And she said, salesmen. Um, uh, uh, preachers and um, uh, I've forgotten the third one right now, but uh, you know, it's, you know, if you can't prove it, you know, it doesn't exist. Was the, kind of the way I grew up. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, right. And the and, Missouri, and the it, Missouri phrase, "Show me," right? Yeah. Well, and and I come. You know, I've spent too much of my life watching, as you probably have too, watching publicists handle people, and uh, I've seen the dark side of very famous people uh, who put on an image, and it's, you know, I I, I don't want to go there. But I think we need to um, make some very serious distinctions between uh, deception and illusion and the so-called real world, all of which isn't showable. I I right. understand the skeptic. I understand the 
the pessimist, for that matter, and the cynic. I think there are huge distinctions between these, and I think that uh, cynicism and pessimism have really little place in a healthy human life. Skepticism has a very strong role once a person is not identified with being a skeptic and they're willing to let it go at the right moment when there's proof beyond a shadow of a doubt and proof shows up in many ways that are not necessarily visual let's just just since we walked down this path this far i just would say this david before we had the microscope if someone told you about a microbe a bacterium or an atom you'd say come on show it to me then i'll believe it Well, there was no means by which to show it. But that didn't mean it didn't exist. Same with the telescope going in the macro direction. So there are stars and black holes. Come on. You try to pull the wool over my eyes. You see, so it's inherently a delimiting perspective. And one needs God's great gift of imagination to make intelligence if conservative inferences about the nature of reality end of coming and and <laughs> and so much and so much uh to, to admit we don't know to just simply say there are so many things we simply don't know and one of the um things that i've observed in people as they convey to dr moody and and others their uh, near death experience is they say, I don't have the words for it, but it was if, it was as though, it was like. Uh, And, you know, our language that we use to think, to talk, to communicate uh, is limited by the words that we, you know, that we have. And uh, another realm uh, that doesn't you know if my poor grandmother came back uh, who died in 1934 if she came back uh and saw a computer she wouldn't have a word for it that's right exactly Uh, exactly and that's that's what the frustration of so many people who've had near-death experiences and it's why you know dr alexander kept quiet for two years before he went public with his experience Uh, because, you know, it's a burden sometimes to have a near-death experience. That's so interesting. Yeah. You know, for all that I I love science, and I I wanted to go back to this when I, I mentioned neuroscience, many neuroscientists, certainly some, have have shrugged this off in the media that they feel they have a biochemical neurophysiological explanation of what is referred to as the long dark tunnel and the experience of light and they can express right. that in uh that explain it I should say um in biochemical indeed, terms as well I say and indeed, that was Dr Alexander's yeah well that was Dr Alexander's uh um stance before yeah. his experience yeah before his experience yeah. Yeah, I'd love to hear what you have to say about this because uh, I I see that as a that that's the small-minded scientist, not the true scientist 
that uses, who is infused with inquiry and imagination, sort of like a Dr. Well, Einstein. Well, you know, everything is evolving. I think, or at least I believe, that everything is evolving. Uh, the universe is expanding, you know, from what to what is a, a great question. But yes, if, science, right. uh, if science would simply uh, admit that they don't know everything. I mean, you alluded to uh, incidents about microns before. Um, I can't remember yes. the name, but there was there was a famous surgeon in Vienna at the turn of the 20th century who said to his fellow surgeons, guys, look, we don't need to wear our aprons with all the blood of previous surgeries on it. It's not I know where you're bad. going, sure. Right. Yeah, and and he was ostracized from the surgical community and ended up committing suicide. And then, as uh, shortly after his death, people looked at his work and went, "Huh, infection." Now there's a concept. <laughs> That's right, exactly. Well, what people would the if I may just add to that story. Uh, Doctors would go from the maternity wards where they just delivered a baby with blood on their hands and go then into the operating room without washing, which right. to us is utterly preposterous. In We have come so far. But it was only approximately 120 years ago that that kind of behavior was completely standard. It was a Viennese physician, if I'm not mistaken, who said, right. hey, let's wash our hands. I, his yeah. name escapes me right now. And he yeah. was considered a complete renegade. Yep. <laughs> but yep. in fact, that's yep. what has saved so many lives. And we have since learned about the importance of sanitation and hygiene in all walks of life, you know. But yeah, no, it's a very good point, David. And I'm I'm glad you made it. What just uh we have a little bit more time. I just want to ask you what in your research and your experience with Dr. Moody has been one of the more striking experiences or stories that you have heard uh regarding uh, regarding this. Well, I've heard lots of stories, uh, you know, and um humankind cannot live without narrative. I think that what it's time for, as all us baby boomers uh, progress into old age and, um, you know, uh, we become dealing with death and dying and first of our parents and then of our friends, God forbid, of our children, and then our only uh, demise. I think it's important that we all stop the narratives that make us feel good and start looking at this in a critical thinking, rational way um, that, uh, for example, uh, the first oath of doctor is first do no harm. Well, if prolonging the body is preventing the consciousness or the soul or the psyche from going to the next level, then is yes. that not doing some harm? You know, um, yes. That's ev- a very I, good I, question. I, I go back to my earlier point. Every civilization, there's a fabulous. It's a thousand-page book 
uh, and I d- didn't know the man. His name is Alan Siegel. He was uh, a history professor at Columbia University. He wrote a uh, unbelievably uh, um, detailed account. What is the name of the book? Of, the name of the book is Life After Death, A History of the Afterlife in Western uh, Religion. You know, and he begins with the Egyptians and goes to the Sumerians and to the Babylonians and to the Zoroastrians and to the Israelites and the Philistines. And, I mean, he just goes to everybody. Uh, there, uh, He points out the, the contradictions in Christian afterlife belief. But the, my, my point is that every religion, you know, whether it's reincarnation or going to another level, even the non-religious, Plato, uh, you know, we don't exactly think of Plato or Socrates as uh, religious, but they believe, to go back to that word, in an afterlife. Um, and it's it's only, I, I, don't, I don't know, what, what has impressed me with the people who have come back and told stories all say the same thing. It's all about love and love each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we, we have heard, we have seen mil- people who were extremely wealthy come back and basically uh, they didn't give it all away and start wearing sandals and sackcloth, but, you know, <laughs> they went about their business, but in an entirely yeah. different uh, different way. I have met uh, little docents at um, uh, museums who, when they find out of my relation with Raymond, they will whisper, you know, I had a near-death experience, but I I just don't tell anybody because they'll think I'm crazy. Well, you know, yes. I just got out of the closet and got from from the absurd uh, into mainstream because, uh, it, you know, there are 78 million Americans who will die in the next 20 years, uh, the baby boomers. Yes. You know? Yes. That's right. I mean, that's how serious it is for us all to take a good, real, hard, deep look at this subject. And uh, we can, I believe, move ourselves to another level of consciousness by freeing ourselves, liberating ourselves from the fear of what we refer to rather, you know, glibly as death. And I say glibly is because we really haven't looked scientifically or even truly imaginatively or, as you're really well putting it, David, um, historically uh, at the culturally, at the antecedents of Western civilization today. We do live in a cult of science. I call it our latest religion. And there are also, just like with other religions, there are some wonderful religious aspects to it that I deeply appreciate. But you should never take any one religion wholesale, so to speak. 
uh, you know, right. just as the gospel, no pun intended again. But, you know, uh, there are too many flowers in the garden for us to pay attention to. And what's interesting is they all have stems. And part of that stem, uh, to translate the metaphor into civilization, is a rich and colorful story about the afterlife. And many spend their entire lives preparing for the world to come. That's a whole other kind of conversation. But at least step one, freeing ourselves of the fear, would liberate a large part of the emotional charge in our lives. Well, and and imagine... It would change the way we live. It would change... Imagine just for a moment the financial burden that would be relieved. 80% of an individual's health care life or life's health care costs are spent on the last six months of your life. If we said, you know, there's something beyond here. I'm not sure what it is. No one's ever been able to come back and give a full report, but there's something beyond here. Maybe I want to leave the money to my kids and grandkids rather than give it to a doctor. Yes, right. Exactly. And it's not only that, it's not uh, the m- economics is really a very strong point, but it's way beyond that. It's the suffering of the family and what you right. could almost call the defiance of biological mandate, you know. Um, right. But, you know, I. This would lead into a series of other discussions that we could have about the notion of physical immortality. And some of the work being done these days with stem cell research is utterly fascinating. And the whole idea that I really got introduced to by a teacher of mine many moons ago, Sandra Ray, who wrote The Celebration of Breath, who was a rebirther and came up with the idea that, or or I should say promulgated the idea, that all death is one form or another of suicide. And that if we free ourselves from the thought pattern, the deep thought form of having to die from our cellular consciousness and memory, we could, through that liberation, actually continue to live. Interesting. Yep. And you obviously see how it's related, you know. It's so well, related. I, I, I think it was Plato that said death is a door that we just go through. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I think it was Eckhart Tolle, who, from whom I first heard this, that that. Death isn't the opposite of life, but it's the opposite of birth. Exactly. Exactly. We have, right, we have a portal through which we come, and we have another portal through which we exit. But that doesn't mean die, as in nomas, gone. And for those of you who receive the A Better World newsletter every week that announces who will be on the uh, radio and TV shows, I wrote an article, or as they call them these days, a blog. What an unpleasant word. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, I was writing from a, as, you know, I'm not a formal 
formally trained scientist at all, but I was just using fundamental physics to say if everything is energy and we know that energy cannot be destroyed and we are nothing but energy, where the hell are we going? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, and what am I missing? What am I missing? Does that not itself make a scientific, scientifically based uh, argument for the exist the continuation of some form of life that doesn't die because the entire idea of die doesn't really have anything behind it it's a wisp of smoke now that doesn't mean that things don't disintegrate you bet they do we're disintegrating right now (laughs) and then we're reintegrating so it's not we're not debating disintegration but let's call things by the right names are we on the same page yeah and i think that the important thing at least for for me and and in my journey is to the admission we just don't know that so why are we building these walls that that yes. you know that keep us um keep us uh nailed down limited thought yeah yes and, and to thoughts you know i watched a, a wonderful movie last night uh called night train to lisbon and there was a line in the movie where um, the protagonist says to the, the, the female, he says, death is nothing, uh, death is our knowledge, or not, I'm sorry, knowledge of death is that which makes us enjoy life. Hmm. Hmm, interesting. And I thought, you know, <laughs> it, 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 that, 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 that says a lot to me because you know it if, does. Uh, I, I think we just continue, and uh, I'm looking forward to the next chapter. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, David Hinshaw, it has been a real pleasure to have you on and honor. You've done. Uh, you've got a compendium of accomplishments over the decades uh, in videography, in film, in in journalism and I really want to thank you for your bravery courage well, thank and fortitude you. And thank, thank you and thank you for the excellent excellent work and for your bravery because uh, I'm sure there are many many times when you feel like alone um, in this crazy wolf. crazy world yeah. <laughs> yes but I am a man Great. of my convictions so even though I feel alone sometimes I know that there are just gazillions of people who agree with me and even if they don't now they will <laughs> so, but thank you very much I totally appreciate your good words and uh, do you have a website you want to share with us in uh, RaymondMoody.org or LifeAfterLife.com um, okay we're the, uh, the, the documentary your, your, con- your videography a uh, videoed conversation between Dr. Moody and Dr. Alexander is there and available for purchase. Right. Right. Okay. Yes. Great. Right. 
good. That's wonderful. Well, thank you again, David, for joining us here at A Better World. Spread the word. Let people know about us here. And, uh, All right, I will. We are going to continue again, on enjoy, with our work. Enjoy Raymond next week. Thank you very much. I so appreciate it. God bless you, David. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you found that as interesting as I did. I uh, so appreciate these words and these experiences and helping to unfold these uh, new uh, new ways of thinking. And they are not new paradigms. No, not at all, as the work he cited of uh, Dr. Alan Siegel, uh, tracing the history of the afterlife through all uh, world cultures and civilizations, indigenous and otherwise, we see that, in fact, you know, this is an old story, folks, and it's only when we become too narrowed and scientized, as it were, sanitized in our thinking, that we sort of miss the, the richer, intuitive understanding And I feel it's there for people who are really paying attention. It's just not uh, to be shrugged off, and it's sort of about time that we embrace the larger picture and listen to those human beings who have had these kinds of experiences over and over and over again. This is not new. And what is also not new is our habituated way of thinking and listening so we don't really get the nuances of each of the particular stories and when we have someone like Dr. Raymond Moody and Dr. Eben Alexander among others, I mentioned Dr. Julia Asante earlier and Dr. Annie Kagan, even though I'm a chiropractor and not acting as a doctor these days still people with what society refers to as impeccable credentials are coming forward with these deeply personal stories that could, in normal circumstances of society's limited ways of thinking and dealing, uh, embarrass them, you know, and cause them harm in some ways, and certainly loss of revenue, and they are still not stopped by that at all because what they have experienced has the ring of truth and that ring drives them more than anything and they are willing to sacrifice fame and fortune and the rest uh, even um, highly uh, endowed and respected professions as medicine and put all of those worldly considerations aside in exchange for alignment with what they feel is true. That, if you really look at it in context, that's what you see. And that is really worth digesting. So, we will continue this. And I want to just share with you uh, one of my Uh, great mentors and teachers and friends, Bob Loomish, who very few of you would ever have had the great honor of meeting and privilege, Uh, my old Taiji Chuan teacher, many, many moons ago, he passed 
oh my God, back in the uh, 80s, um, used to say to me, quoting uh, Castaneda, always live with the angel of death on one shoulder. That will always keep you awake and attentive to the magnificence of life. So on that note, my dear friends, I'm so glad you joined us again. Please uh, take our link or our website or our newsletter and forward it to others who you think could benefit from this. If you know people who are in the latter stages of their lives and are experiencing some fear and uncertainty and discomfort or depression and anxiety, conversations as I just had with David Hinshaw and will have with Dr. Raymond Moody next week at the same time and same bat channel will help to to alleviate some of that pain and suffering and sadness and fear. That's usually the overriding thing of fear of the unknown. What's going to happen to me? Am I going to disappear altogether? Will I have no identity whatsoever? Uh, and this is harrowing. It would be for anyone uh, until or unless they come to another level of understanding, of consciousness about this rather delicate subject, all the more reason for us to engage it. And that's what we do here at A Better World. We pick up on the subjects that so need to be looked at from those on the horizontal plane regarding such things as how we treat one another, global warming, climate change, human trafficking, <clears throat> any subject that engages us to be bigger and better and higher and more alert and more awake and more compassionate and more heartful and more alive. Isn't that what this game is about? Being alive. And we're given a body and as the Buddhists would say, we have been given a precious human birth. So let's use it to the maximum. Make the most of our human potential. And from there, boy, can we just fly. And so I want to just uh, direct you again to our website at betterworld.tv or my work as a therapist and as a business consultant and coach, www.betterworld.tv. A better, uh, not I'm sorry, not a better world TV. That's the newsletter. But uh, the other work, uh, my other few professional hats, MitchellRabin.com, triple W dot Mitchell M I T C H E L L Rabin R A B I N MitchellRabin.com. Very simple. Or just Google. There are plenty of references for you to pick up on many older radio shows to tune into. And please write me with your comments at mjr at abetterworld.net, mjr at abetterworld.net. This is also a promotion company, A Better World Promotions. And uh, 
we do promotions for writers and for uh, artists and musicians and filmmakers and directors and people who are seeking to get the word out and about in the world through to a larger audience, which we have. And we love to share what we feel is valuable information, education, and inspiration with all of you. So on that note, thanks again so much for joining us. And I look forward to seeing you all and continuing the theme next week.